You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. tonight. I love that song. I will do it again. Um, I was reminded by these verses from Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 10. It says, remember the things I have done in the past for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Verse 10 said, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. And as I was reading these verses this morning, it just broke my heart because during this time of uncertainty, you don't know what's going to happen. You're hearing negativity from the media. I love that there's a God who says, I alone am God and I will do whatever I wish. I love these verses. Thank you for joining with, um, us tonight. And if this is your first time, I ask that you fill out a connection card. You can drop it off at the offering plate as you feel comfortable. And we do have a special gift for you. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Grace Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship in your presence. Father, would your Holy Spirit meet with us? I pray that you would clear out any distractions. Would you quiet our minds and our hearts? Would you quiet us from all the fear and uncertainty that this world seems to be putting in our face every moment of every day? And Father, help us to look up. Help us to look up. Help us to see you high and lifted up, sitting on your throne, not worried, not nervous, not scared, not bothered, but in complete control. If you are God, you are the king of the universe. And Father, we come tonight to worship you. We come with hearts of gratitude, grateful for another week that we can come and be in this place. We come with hearts of gratitude, knowing that you are a good God and you are in control. And so Father, may you be glorified. We lift you up. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So good to see each and every one of you. I'm so honored and privileged that you would make plans to be here on this Sunday afternoon, our Sunday evening service, and we're just thrilled to have this opportunity to gather together. Uh, I was telling my wife, I think there's some benefits of being able to meet on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and she said, yes, you get to make me breakfast on Sundays again. And I was just thinking, well, I thought it was night that I could ride with you guys to church in the morning instead of getting up super early. But yes, that is the benefit. There's many benefits, and it's a blessing to see you. It's so good to see all those. This is your first time. We want to welcome you. So glad that you are here. Also, we want to thank uh, Pastor Ceci for opening up Ridge Kids a week early. So if you have children ages zero to three, uh, they can begin to meet in the prayer room. We're going to start there. And then in two weeks, we'll start to slowly open up more and more of our Ridge Kids ministry. And so we'd love to, uh, the fact that our children are able to be a part of our services. This is wonderful. Many of them are taking notes. They're uh, learning what it's like to sit in church and to learn. And so I'm so glad that they're here. Also, I want to just thank you for your patience for those that as parents, man, you sat there with your children or you took them into the lobby so we're just grateful that they would uh, that you would take that time and be a part of it also if you would like to take notes we really encourage you to have a copy of God's word but then also if you'd like to take notes there are free journals on your way out and I uh, would love for you to have one because I think it's important in these day and age uh, to have a copy of what God is speaking to you about because there's going to come a day and age where you're going to look back and you're going to say look how God took care of me then I can trust him now and it's good to have a record of that it's good to uh, be able to have a copy of God's word as well as your journal to write down what God is teaching you and what he is showing you so we are going to make those we used to sell them but now uh, we feel like it's important just to give them away for free so you can have one on your way out please grab one take a take some notes I want you to stay connected with what God's word is teaching so we're in the book of Acts we're going to go to Acts chapter number seven and then we're going to go backwards to Acts chapter number 6. But I'm going to start in Acts 7. And as you're turning there, I want to talk to you about going back to church. Because I think sometimes you and I will come in contact with people that have various 
different views about church. And I want to tell you three things when it comes to uh, going back to church, three ways to look at going back to church. And this is just for you to put in your arsenal, three ways to look at going back to church. First of all, there are those that they're going to give a reason why they won't go back to church. Their first reason is because of an authoritarian reason. Well, the government said this. The only problem, I mean, we need to be aware, and this is not me trying to get political. This is me just saying the fact that I could fill this room for a protest, I can have music and I can speak, but yet I can't fill a room like this with people to worship God. That's illegal. But to fill it for a protest is not. That's called discrimination, all right? And so many people, they'll say, well, the authority said we shouldn't listen. Now, if you missed my message two weeks ago, we uh, looked at Acts chapter number five, where we said better to obey God than man. So when it comes to people wanting to use the authority reason, bring up scripture and say, wait a minute, you're listening to the wrong authority because I guarantee you uh, we can open up safely. We can open up and keep things clean. Everything was disinfected before you came in here. Uh, you mask, if you want to wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't have to wear a mask. You know, if you say, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable, there's a balcony. You're welcome to go upstairs. We have plenty of room for you to spread out, so we're not worried about that. So there's, first of all, the first reason is they obey the wrong authority. That's why they may not go to church. Secondly, there's another growing, growing, alarming statistic that there's many people that are just apathetic to church, but they're going to use the fact that we shouldn't go to church as their excuse. So there's a growing apathy. Uh, George Barna, their poll came out that one-third of Christians have stopped watching online, so you see this growing apathy among Christians that are like, I don't really need to go to church. I'm good. I'll just catch it Tuesday or Wednesday, or you know what? I'll just binge all my church on a Saturday or something. i got to do some yard work. I can catch up three or four weeks. It's all good. Three or four podcasts. So there's, first of all, there's that approach that, hey, they're listening to wrong authority. There's second, that they're apathetic. And then there's third, there's the, they're just afraid to go to church. Those are three reasons why people aren't going to go to church today. And today I'm going to hit the third reason. People are afraid to go to church. They say, pastor, I get it. No, no, no. We need to obey God. I get it. Um, I get that we're going to listen to the right authority. I'm not apathetic. I'm just afraid to go to church. Because I think today what I'm seeing now is that as you eliminate somebody's excuse why they can't do something, what happens is you start boiling down to the reason. I had a wise college professor. He said, statements accuse, questions convict. So ask questions. Well, why wouldn't you attend a church service? Well, this, this, and this. And then you really start to get down to it. And the final matter, if they're not apathetic and if they're not obeying the wrong authority, it's the fact that they're afraid to go to church. They're afraid to. And there's... For today, if you watch the news and watch the media, they would tell you there's a legitimate reason to be afraid. Legitimate is what they would say. But yet you and I know that Satan's greatest tool is fear. His greatest weapon is fear. He's been trying to use it since the beginning in Genesis when he brought in the fear that Eve was missing out on something. Yea, hath God said that you shall not freely eat of every tree of the Garden of Eden. But he doesn't want you to have the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't want you to miss out. So Satan starts bringing in that doubt, which fed into a fear, a fear that you might be missing out on something, and that triggered something. And so today, people give in to fear, and so Satan is using fear, and I'm seeing the Christian community go into fear, and I'm hearing something else very alarming that the Christian community is saying, well, we really need to take care of our neighbor, and we need to, we need to just do food pantry ministry, and I'm, a, I'm all for food pantry, and we need to make fabric masks, and I'm all for fabric masks, and, and we need to uh, give financial resources, and I'm all about giving financial resources. But understand, Jesus, who lays out the perfect example of how we should, as Christians, behave, the greatest thing, he said, fear not those who can kill the body. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but fear those that can kill the soul. He laid it out what we should be afraid of. And he did not tell us that, hey, whoa, there could be viruses or disease. Leprosy was the most common, deadly disease in that day. But yet you see Jesus just walk right into it and heal it. You say, well, you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus. I know. But you see the idea of many Christians that were called to go and minister to these situations. And so today, fear is locking you and I out of so much that God wants to do. Fear chokes out the very best of our lives because fear chokes out the future. Fear is just as contagious as any virus. Today, I've entitled this message, Don't Catch the Fear Virus, because that's what's going on. A lot of people are pushing a fear virus, trying to keep you afraid of leaving your house, trying to keep you afraid of going back to work, trying to get you afraid for your children, afraid for everything. When, and then... 
there's well-meaning people who say, well, I know somebody who knows somebody who had a cat, who had a dog, who had a, had a doctor who got sick, and they, they died. Can I just say we all have that? And if we were to use that logic, then we would never drive cars because we all know somebody who knows somebody who got hit or killed in the car. you got to think, folks, for a second. Step back, and we've got to use our minds. But I know we love to give in to fear, and fear immediately stops us from thinking rationally and logically, and it just moves us into the fight or the flight mentality. So we can do things safely. We can do things rightly because I know some of the arguments where some people, they'll come to church once, and they're like, oh, I'm never doing that again. i got too much pressure. i got too much pushback. No, no, no. We can do this safely. We're commanded to do this. And it's irrational for us to give in to fear. You see, when it comes to fear, we can't let fear creep into our hearts. And when fear does, we need to get historical, not hysterical. Many of us just get hysterical about fear. Instead of getting historical that, wait a minute, God in the past is taking care of people. He will take care of us. He will be with us. He hasn't abandoned his church. He didn't say, oh, 2020, all you people in 2020, you're on your own. God has left the building. He didn't do that. And I'm tired of all these memes that people think, oh, man, 2020, if it was a year, here's the most ridiculous thing it would be. Can we just stop with that? Because what you're doing is now you are prophesying something over your own year. You are speaking something to exist in that camp. There's a lot of great opportunities. You say, Pastor, people are dying in this election and this and this is happening. You know, as Christians, we understand who's in charge and we can have joy. The Apostle Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I can have joy. He also said, rejoice the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So there is a reason, even in spite of all this, that Christians have a different mindset. So you and I, we need to Look at how the church is responding and think for a second. Are we giving in to irrational fear? I call it funny fear. You ever had a funny fear? You're afraid of something that's just kind of funny? I grew up and I was always afraid of the dark. I always had to sleep with the lights on. Kind of a funny fear, isn't it? Afraid of the dark? Now I can't stand having the lights on. I have a little thing by my bed. It charges my phone. It's got a little green light. It's the most annoying light. I want to take a little pen and stab out the light because I see this light and it keeps me awake at night. And if I don't see that light, my wife's got this air diffuser, a little humidifier, little thing. It has the essential oils. And this, I'll put this out, and that one pops up. And I was like, what is that? And then it changes colors. And that just keeps me awake. And I was like, what is that? And then I turn off that. And then her iWatch has a little light. I got all these little lights, can't stand it. Back in the day, I was afraid of the dark, so I wanted the light. A friend of mine had a birthday party. I went over to his birthday party, and he wanted to do a Jaws movie marathon. Anybody ever heard of the movie Jaws? It's a little bit older shark movie, okay? I watched a couple, a couple movies of Jaws, and this is how bad it was. My parents owned a four-and-a-half-foot doughboy above-ground pool, okay? We were Poe, so we didn't have a real pool. This is a doughboy above-ground pool, four-and-a-half feet. wasn't very big, maybe 20 feet across. I could not swim in that pool by myself. Because I watched Jaws. It was a funny fear. And then when I would jump in the pool, and I would swim really fast because I thought someone was going to chase me because that's how in Jaws they always got him, right? This person leisurely swimming, and then da-dun, da-dun, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I just could hear that playing in my mind. It was an irrational fear. And today, so many Christians are given into irrational fears. And I know you can state every statistic, and just so you know, I know many times people think, well, you pastors know a lot about the Bible, but you know nothing about science. Can I just tell you, I have access to everything that you have access. If you're a doctor, if you're a scientist, it's all out there. There's something called Google. I love it when people ask me questions because my response to them, they're like, hey, have you ever, do you, do you know where I could find this? I'm like, yes, look up on Google, you know. And uh, so I have Google, and I know how to use Google. And Google has all kinds of stuff that you can look up, research articles, and you can look up the science. I can even go on every county and find out, hey, how are the COVID patients doing? How many are in the hospital? How many are not in the hospital? I've got all the access, and so do you. So I don't need the media to, to hype anything up. And then I can even talk to people that work in some of these hospitals, and they will report all kinds of crazy stuff that's going on. But without me trying to uh, incite some of you into one way or one thinking or the other, I'm just saying what's happening, though, is we're given into irrational fear. Just irrational. You say, no, 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 I totally disagree. This, is, this, thing, is, this thing is really bad, really bad. We do feel bad for those that are sick. We do. We do. We pray for them. But how, by me giving into fear, just, oh, where's my mask? Where's my gloves? Where's my hazmat suit? Does that help that person who's sick by me doing this? Am I helping them? No. As a matter of fact, I'm now spreading a fear virus. So now my children are going to live in this, I'm afraid to cross the street. 
I already live in the ghetto. They're afraid to pray outside anyway. So it's like, you know, I don't need to give them more things to be afraid about. I don't need to give my children, children more things in this world to be afraid of. No, no, we as Christians, we know what's gonna happen. I know what's gonna happen. I'm okay, I'm secure. But what happens is we're given into fear. Now, fear is the opposite of faith. So how do we overcome being overwhelmed by fear? To be free from fear, we need to be full of faith. Sadly, we're free of faith and full of fear. Full of fear. And there's one thing I think that is the most detrimental to the church of God. It's that we are called to walk by faith, not by sight. But I see so many Christians who are just, I got to walk by sight, pastor. I just, ah, the statistic and this and that. It can't be that deadly if the governor won't set down his own winery, okay? It can't, it, can't, it can't be, all right? If it was, people would be after him. But we live in a day and age where people are just, oh, just shut everything down, shut down the churches. And then when I hear Christians say it's logical to shut down the churches, and then when we have well-meaning Christians who call out our church or call out other churches that are open and try to blast them for trying to obey God, it's irrational. So today we're gonna fight back against the fear virus, and we're gonna do it with scripture. So you have a copy of God's word, Turn with me to Acts chapter number seven. Notice if you would, verse 54. It's talking about a man by the name of Stephen. And it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They didn't like what Stephen was saying. He preached a long sermon to them. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. This is how angry they are. They were gnashing. What is that? I don't like what you're doing. Could you imagine how irate somebody has to be to get in your face? What are you doing? You know, that's how upset they were with Stephen, what he was saying. So let's find out what he did. Verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, not full of fear, not full of anxiety and doubt and discomfort and depression, but full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. You say, why were they so mad that he saw God? Isn't that a good thing? No, no. These people didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And now he's saying, I see Jesus. He's alive, and he's next to God. They thought that Jesus was a demon. Remember, they called him Beelzebub. They were like, no, no, he's a demon. He, he, he's not a child of God. And now there's Stephen is saying, hey, I see him. So they're mad. They run at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was a great man willing to die for his faith. There's a great man who was not full of fear, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. But to every great story, there's a great backstory. This is why I said we got to go to Acts chapter number 6. Because we need to find out a little bit, how did Stephen get to the point where he is willing to li- willingly uh, lay down his life for Jesus Christ? He didn't even hesitate. And, and his final words are, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. Much like Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is a great man. But where did this great man come from? So we have to go back to Scripture. Acts chapter number 6, verse number 1. It says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, so there's growth in the early church, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Pymenius, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient in the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. In eight verses, you see that they were full of something three times. If you're taking notes, would you underline that word full? Because today, I want to ask a question. What are you full of? 
What are you full of? Because if you're watching nonstop news, if you're watching nonstop fear, you're going to be full of fear. As Christians, to fight back against a fear virus, we have to be filled with faith, not fear. But yet today, how many Christians, you just get around them and they're just quivering. And Satan wants nothing more than a bunch of Christians who are quivering and are not full of faith. He wants people that are weak. So you and I need to mark it down. Wait a minute. There's something you and I can have. And that is something that Stephen had. He was filled with faith. But where did he get this faith? How did it all begin? First of all, in verse number one, it says there was a disruption in their worship. The church is growing. There's a lot of great things happening. And all of a sudden, if Satan can't destroy a church from within, he'll try to get it from without. He'll try to do anything to divide the church. He'll try to do anything to divide this church. He'll try to do anything to divide our church. He'll try to do anything to divide the church. And so what he did is he bring, bring, bring in some complainers. It's amazing how far complaining can spread. I can't stand complaining, especially on a road trip. You know, on a road trip, there's always one child or somebody in the car. Are we there yet? How much further? We're still in the driveway. We haven't even left. You haven't even put you on your seatbelt. And you're already complaining. You know, just people just complaining. Just complaining. There's nothing you can do to make them happy enough. Just, just nothing. And this early church, they were complaining. Now, we don't know if these widows were not getting enough bread or they were getting too much bread or maybe it wasn't whole grain. Maybe it wasn't uh, the type of bread that they want. Maybe they were putting uh, uh, stuff that they didn't like. They wanted organic bread and they weren't giving them organic bread and, and, and they didn't eat gluten, but yet they were getting gluten bread. And I, I, we don't know what was going on, but the Hellenists were saying, we're not getting treated fairly like the Hebrew widows. We want to get treated fairly. The Hellenists were simply Jews that had been in other countries and spoke Hebrew, but yet they had grown up in other countries. So they were considered a little, little bit uh, probably uh, too trendy, while the Hebrews were a little bit too traditional. So you had two groups of Christians, and you've run into them. They're in every church. Some that seem a little bit too trendy and some that seem too traditional. And so sometimes you can walk into a church, and everything's very traditional. And they don't want anything that might be trendy. And so that, Satan can use that. He was using that right here. He was using it to try to divide the church. But the disciples did something wise. They said, we're not going to let something disrupt the worship. We're not going to let something stop the church. It's amazing how Christians sometimes will fight and squabble over the petty and they'll leave a church because of something they don't like or they'll leave something or they'll get upset about something. Every church member has two buckets, two imaginary buckets. Every one of you is carrying two buckets. You say, what are those buckets? You're either carrying a bucket of water or a bucket of gasoline. And somebody's going to do something, say something to offend you, bother you. Somebody is. And if somebody out there isn't, then I'm going to. I guarantee it. And what you can do, you could take your bucket of gasoline on that fire that was started. And it could be a little fire. And you say, let's roast some marshmallows. Here's some gasoline. And you pour gasoline on that fire. And you make it real big. And people will split churches. They'll destroy churches. They'll ruin relationships forever over nothing. Many times just nothing. Or you can be a wise, discerning Christian who says, we can make this a big deal. But Proverbs says, where no wood is, there the fire goes out. And you can bring a bucket of water. And you could say to that dear brother, that dear sister, let's pray over this and let's talk about it as you pour water on that fire. You see, Satan would love nothing more than, especially right now, as the church is so weak. You think the church is strong. It is it's so weak right now. So, so just under fear, being led by uh, what I would call hirelings, not pastors who care for the sheep. And so we need pastors that, uh, that will stand for the truth. And in the Bay Area, I'm disappointed by how few pastors are. I'm disappointed by it. You say, that's a mean thing to say. No, 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 it's not. It's not. Paul withstood Peter to the face when he said he wasn't preaching and teaching what was right. He said, well, they see it a different way. Any church that wants to put social justice ahead of putting the gospel is misleading people. The most important thing that you and I receive is the message of salvation. They can receive that online. How many of your lost friends are coming up to you on Mondays and Tuesdays saying, man, I just listened to a great sermon. Are they? Are they? We used to invite our lost friends to church to hear about Jesus. 
We used to invite them and tell them about the message of Jesus. We used to tell them that there's an old book that talks about how Jesus died on a cross for their sins and how he was buried for three days and on the third day he rose again. And if we repent of our sins, that we can have salvation. But today we've got preachers who want to talk about social justice. We've got preachers who want to talk about five ways to stay healthy in your marriage and your friendship. But instead what we're missing is the fact that people every day are dying and going to hell and we need preachers to stand up and preach that. Now, you tell me Will that trend? Because I tell you, there's a lot of pastors that are like, well, our views are going up and this and that. Praise the Lord. What are you preaching? What are you teaching? Are you rightly dividing the word of truth? Because there's a whole lot of things that are going on today that we need to look at God's word and say, what does God's word have to say with this? Have we prayed over what's happening? Preachers used to get up and talk about the things. Nowadays, if a preacher gets up and opens the word of God and says, hey, this is how the scripture tells us to think and believe, People get offended and say, I'm going to go to a more uh, progressive church that's very vanilla. I don't know what they stand for. If you don't know what a church stands for, write this down. They stand for nothing. I heard some of your feelings. Let me say it again, just so we really put the nail in the coffin. If you don't know what a church stands for, it stands for nothing. You say, that's mean. No, no, you should know what a church stands for. We used to have a doctrinal statement on a church website. Go and look at a church's doctrinal statement. Don't go to a church because you say, I love their children's ministry. My kids came out with so much candy, the dentist just loved us. Man, their band was just something else. It used to be that we would come to church and you would go to the pulpit and they would write on the pulpit, sir, we would see Jesus. Because that's what we want more of Jesus. And there was a disruption in their worship, and the disruption started because of a complaint. A small complaint, but they weren't going to let this complaint destroy everything. And many times you and I can let something trivial destroy something great that God wants to do. And what they were doing is they were projecting their problem that we weren't getting enough probably because these Hebrew widows are getting more than us. Now, Scripture doesn't say that they were. It doesn't say that they, somebody's getting treated unfairly. What scripture is telling us is there was a little discrepancy. Not a big deal. It could be solved. But there was murmuring and there was complaining. Do you know in the seven things that God hates, murmuring and complaining is one of them? That's how you know God is a father. He hates complaining. Every dad hates complaining. But here, it's too easy to blame others. It's easy to blame our boss, our spouse. It's easy to blame our kids. Instead of saying, wait a minute, we can, we can deal with this problem. Don't let Satan trick you into thinking because you're not visible, you don't have value. And they thought, we must not have any value. We're not visible. So the worship, there was a disruption in their worship. They shut everything down. And then the disciples, they get involved. And notice what they said in verse 2. It says, then when the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And notice this, underline this, because this is the mandate for people in ministry. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's the mandate given to those in ministry. But today you hear a lot of pastors who are spending a lot of their time taking care of petty problems. I once talked to a person, they said, Pastor, I'll go to your church, but if I ever need a ride, will you be there to pick me up anytime? I said, probably not, probably not. I said, it's not that I don't want to give you a ride. I just probably won't be available. I've had people uh, reach out to me and say, hey, I just need to know that my pastor's available 24-7. I said, that's impossible. I said, I can't do that. I said, I'm just gonna be honest with you, not that I don't want to, but that's not what I'm called to do. They once again were putting back the focus of what ministry is all about. It's about prayer and the word. That's what they needed it to be about. But they said, we can still take care of the need. But we as the leaders need to give ourselves to prayer and to the word. How much time in ministry is being spent to prayer and the word? How much time are pastors today spending in God's word, spending in prayer? That's what our nation needs right now. More time in God's word, more time in prayer. But it's real easy, and I understand the pressure for many people that they feel that, oh, man, the people just need to always see us serving. I served under a pastor, and he said, oh, they just need to always see us doing things. And so he would have us out fixing sprinklers, changing the oil on the bus, riding lawnmowers, running blowers, fixing up the property, painting. I said, I'm not an associate pastor for you. I'm a maintenance man for you, apparently. And I said, I'm not above it. I'd stay there for seven years. I said, the problem is there are a lot of people in the church who would gladly do this. 
but they don't have the theological training to go and counsel and to go pray and go preach. They don't have that. So let's involve those, not that I'm above changing sprinklers, but I said anybody can change sprinklers. Anybody can do this. And so we've got to delegate it. So once again, we've got to come back to the church. We can get distracted from the word. I had a Bible college president. He would say, keep the main thing the main thing. Around here, we try to keep the vision visible. And the vision is leading people to find and follow Jesus. That's the goal, that people are saved and then they grow in sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like Christ. My question is, are you becoming more like Christ? Because as the pastor opens up the word of God, you should know God's word better. Each and every week, we need to go to God's word, study the scripture. That's why I want a Bible and a journal in hand. You say, that's old school, that's old fashioned. I know, but the phone or the tablet is easy to get distracted distracted by. Your kids can use it, but I want to create a church where we want the meat of God's word. And if you don't care for that, I, I okay, all right, that's, that's fine. I'm not trying to grow the biggest church. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And you say, well, you have a real arrogant attitude. No, it's not an arrogant attitude. We're looking at scripture and it's saying, here these disciples said, we're going to give ourselves the most important thing. Do you know what God said about the word of God? Because the word of God today, I think is under great attack. He said this in Psalms 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God said this word is so important, I've magnified it above everything. And the church needs to get back to it. Not taking one verse and talking about half hour about one verse and just trying to whip up something that's uh, uh, inspiring and uplifting and makes you feel real good. But how about we just go through it verse by verse, rightly dividing the word of God. All scripture is profitable. All scripture is helpful. And we live in a day and age where people don't know the Bible. And then people say, well, pastor, people don't really want that. People want to walk out feeling encouraged and want to feel uplifted. I get that. I get that. I, I'd love to always preach in such a way that you always feel great and you always do this. But my question is, don't you have a Bible? Can't you tomorrow morning or this evening when you get home, go to the Psalms and encourage yourself? Because the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So, so a pastor needs to know how to encourage himself in the Lord, but the congregation needs the pastor to encourage them all the time. I get it. We're supposed to be a comfort. I get that. But understand, you need to know how to go to God's word and feed yourself. Okay? But too often, we want spoon-fed Christians. You don't want me opening up the Gerber baby food and grabbing a spoon and feeding you, okay? We're, we're grown up. We're maturing in the faith. And if you want a church that just spoon-feeds you, you can find that. There are a dime a dozen. There's over 3,000 of them here in the Bay Area. You can go find them. But if you want a church that says, hey, we're going to open up God's word, and guess what? We're just going to go through it chapter by chapter by chapter. We're just, we're just going through the word of God. And we're just going to see what it says. And here's the word of God. And he said, the purpose of the church is Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's God's purpose. Many people want to make it about something else. And I'm all for food banks. I'm all for fabric masks. I'm all for Christmas trees. I'm all for backpacks. I'm all for bicycles. I'm all for giving away money. We've, our church has done all of those. But you know what? All of those things are about easing someone's discomfort. But only the gospel can save them from death. And how much time today has a church bent over backwards to try and make their community really love all their social service stuff as they've broken their backs and we were one of them? For almost seven years, that's what we did, slaving away. I have carried more Christmas trees than I care to admit. Okay, I will admit it. It's 2,600, okay? 2,600 Christmas trees in six and a half years that I've slanged. Okay, all right, free, just chucking them up there. Many of you were with them. We all ruined our clothes together with that tree set. So you know. And then we would get there and we'd see thousands of people and the next day, let's see the people come. Not a one. Well, that's not discouraging. But then we just teach the word and people that are hungry for God's word come and they invite their lost friends and family that they're interacting with. Because I think what we've done is we've forgotten that we all have a personal responsibility to be Salt and light in the community. You and I have a personal responsibility to tell people about Jesus. Yes, the church should collectively be doing it, but you and I still have a personal responsibility to tell people we know about Jesus. And this passage is explaining that the disciples said, look, we can't do that effectively. So what we have is not a discrimination problem. What we have is a delegation problem. 
Nobody was being discriminated. It was just they didn't delegate. And then the disciples even admitted, we didn't delegate enough. We need to keep delegating. So what they did is they said, look out from among you. Choose seven men of honest report. And so I want you to see this if you're taking notes. First of all, we see that there was a disruption of worship. Secondly, they were distracted from the word. And notice number three, they delegated the work. And I love this. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And the same pleased the multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. And the list goes on. And I love, I love the fact that they put some requirements on these guys that were going to take care of the food bank. Did you see what the requirements were? These are supposed to be good men. A few good men, right? Some of the single ladies are like, yes, where are they? Still looking. A few good men. Haven't found one in San Jose. A million people. You think there'd be one or two. Can't find them. Sometimes I think the church is the same thing. This church, they found at least seven. Would they be able to find seven in our church? You say, it's getting hot. A little conviction. I know. This is convicting where you say, God, would, would I would have been one of the, if I was in this church of Jerusalem and they were needing seven people that were full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, would they have said, yes, you right there. Oh, definitely you. And oh, yeah, you and you and you and you and your cousin. Your cousin's really good. Bring your cousin. Would they have said that? Or would they have been like, oh, man, that's tough. Maybe, maybe six. We got six, five, five, three, two, one, one. Oh, pastor, you got to do it. No, they were able to find seven men full of the Holy Spirit, not full of fear, not, not full of everything else this world has to offer, but they were full of faith saying, God, what do you want for us? How, how can we serve you? And these were good men. As a matter of fact, they wanted to know, hey, before you serve bread, I want to check on your reputation. So they would go through the streets of Jerusalem saying, hey, have you heard of this guy, Stephen? Is he a good guy? They would go to his work and his employees and his friends. They would say, hey, have you heard of him? They would talk to his neighbors and say, hey, neighbors, what do you think you're your next door neighbor? Does he ever help you take out the trash? Does he ever help you mow the lawn if you need to mow the lawn? You were painting your house. Did he ever help him and help you paint the house? When you moved in, did his wife ever bake a meal and bring it over to you? Did they ever help you? Did they have a good reputation? Because Christians, you know, we have a bad reputation. You know that, right? You know there are businesses that hate hiring Christians because we just want to pray all the time. You say, we have eight hours to get the job done. All right, boss, let me just pray for a good hour and a half in the shade with my coffee, with my lunch, reading the Bible. You know, the Lord's work. Got to take time. God says, haste makes waste. So let's just pray. Oh, the job's already done? Well, Lord has mysterious ways, how he works. I don't have a job no more. Okay, thanks. Stephen, this check's coming anyway. <laughs> Sometimes we as Christians, if we would just say, wait a minute, I can be the best worker here. And I can just have a good spirit. And people say, there's something different about him. Shows up on time, does his work, does it, goes above and beyond. Man, I have to remind him to take his breaks. I don't have to remind him to get done with his breaks. Because sometimes Christians, we, we know just enough to get by. And the only reason we're Christians is because it makes the wife happy. And we get a discount at the Christian school if we go to the church. So we do just enough. But we're not full of the Holy Spirit. We're full of it, but we're not full of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is the world looks at us and says, oh, you're Christians? No, no, I'll hard pass. Why? They wanted men that were of good reputation to serve bread. Bread. You know how many weeks we did an a, a, a outreach with food? What if we would have done that? Oh, you want to volunteer? All right, let's have a little sit down. Pastor Michelle sits down with you. All right, how was your devotions this morning? How many verses have you memorized? Mm, no, sorry. Okay, all right. Next. That's what they did. They wanted good men. They didn't just want good men. They wanted godly men. Keeps on going. Notice if you would. Verse number five, it says, men full of faith. These were not just good men. These were godly men to serve bread. The church is mostly known for, do you have a heartbeat? Do you want to serve? Excellent. You're not saved yet? Well, we'll pray for you. Just here's a shirt, come to a class, and here's some donuts, and come to our pizza party, and you're in. What happened to that we wanted good men, of a good reputation, and godly men? How far has the church strayed? And you know why it strayed? Because 
we didn't actually know if we could find good and godly men in the church. You say, that's harsh. Search your heart. See if it's true. You say, Pastor, I don't know where you come off getting away with saying this. Let me remind you one more time. Uh, I've been pastoring for almost seven years. Before that, I was an associate pastor for seven years. And then before that, my dad was a pastor. I've been involved in church ever since I can remember. I've been around a little bit of church. I've seen me a thing or two about church. And this is just stuff that we all actually know is true. But it's hard to find godly men. Husbands, do you know the thing that your wife wants more than anything, more than a big diamond ring or a brand new car, is to open the bedroom one day and just see you on your knees, tears and your Bible open, just praying before God. I'll tell you, that's the thing she wants the most. Can I tell you the thing, dads, that your children need to see the most? There's a dad on the couch and they get up and before they're going to school, there's their dad with a Bible open and a journal and praying over his kids. Can I tell you what your business needs? You know what that jerk boss you always talk bad about needs to see? A guy that just says, hey, I think you're having a rough time. Can I get you a meal? Can I buy you a lunch? Can I show you the love of Christ? Can I just be a real Christian brother? But it's real easy for us just to be like, nope, man, go look for somebody else. And I know we do. We say, well, I'm not called to that ministry. I'm not called to the, to the bread ministry. It didn't say any of these were called to any ministry. Did you notice that? It didn't say, hey, go find people who have a calling for bread ministry. It said, go find people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Go find men that have a good reputation. Go find men that are godly. And then it said, go find men that are gifted because they were full of wisdom. They knew how to get the job done. And then notice what happens to this church when they found these men. It's powerful. Verse number seven says, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient in the faith. Because they found some good men, some gifted men, some godly men, the church grew because some people who didn't say, well, I'm not called the children's ministry. I'm not called to the worship ministry. I'm called to sit on the left pew. Come on. We're not called to sit soaking sour. We are called to be involved. We are called to say, you know what, I can, I can serve. I know, I know it's great that we can open up Richkin and start to do this because we can, we can allow our kids and so we can kind of be in somewhat of a distraction-free environment. But what about saying, hey, I can be a good man. I can be a godly man. I can be a gifted man. Where do you need me to serve? Where can I get plugged in? Where can I get involved? Where can I make a difference? You see, it's real easy to just kind of show up when all the work's done. You see, they made a decision. They said, hey, we're going to find the right type of man and they're going to take care of the problem. You see, God's looking for men. And this is not a chauvinistic message. God's just looking for some godly men, especially right now in this day and age. It's real easy to get upset and bothered by everything. But what about some true godly men who have a passion for God's word? And one shining example in this entire group is a man by the name of Stephen. Because in verse number eight, it says, And Stephen, who was full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Wonders and signs are miracles. This is the first non-apostle recorded in scripture to do signs and wonders. This man had a walk with God. This is Stephen who's going to lay down his life for Jesus. This Stephen. And where did they find Stephen? He was in the food pantry, handing out bread to widows. I notice too often we have a lot of people that want to get on the platform, but nobody's willing to do the small things and show up and do the little dirty work and do the small tasks. No, 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 Pastor, you call me when you need somebody to speak. You call me when you need somebody to be up in front of everybody. You call me when you need somebody up on the stage and the platform to show. No, no, what we need is some Stevens who start out as they serve bread. They don't mind doing the little jobs because he that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in that which is much. So don't come at me. Don't come at anybody else saying, well, I'm just too talented. That I should just be doing this and I deserve to have that position and I deserve to lead a life group and I have this and I have this. No, no, how about you go serve? How about you go find some people in your community? You go witness to them, you go work with them and then all of a sudden people will choose you and say there's a person who's making a difference. There's a person who's having some influence. There's a person who's having some impact because that's what we need and you don't need permission to do good in this world. Some of you are waiting on permission. How about you just go do it? 
Sometimes it's easy to say, well, the church should do this, should do this, and should do that. Why don't you do it then? If God put it on your heart to complain about it, maybe instead of complaining, how about you go do it? How about you say, all right, how, how can I help? How can I facilitate this? How can we get this going? I see that we have this need. We used to have a statement in my old college. We said, see the need, take the lead. See the need, take the lead. You got something that needs to be done? See that need and say, I'm going to take the lead on this. We're going to get this thing done. But instead, it's too easy. It's too easy to just sit back and say, no, I'll let somebody else do it. You and I need to make the decision that we're going to be like Stephen. What I love about Stephen is that nothing would diminish his witness. Nothing. Here's a man who just started out serving, and notice what happens in verse number 9. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenes, Alexandrians, and those from Sicily and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. When they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this is Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Here's a man who did great wonders, but nothing would diminish his witness. The most important thing he did, the most profound thing that he decided to do is I'm going to be a witness. Everywhere he went, he said, I'm still going to preach Jesus Christ. I'm still going to point others to him. Everything that I do is about him. And so he decided that I'm going to point others to Jesus. You see, when we're willing to do those small things, then God can entrust us with bigger things. And we live in a day and age more than any time before where we need to point people to Jesus. Constantly pointing people to Jesus. I know it's easy to get into uh, online battles with people that may differ than you politically or may differ on the mass thing, may differ on the church thing, but instead point them to Jesus. Constantly say, we're, we're trying to lift, and lift up Jesus. We're trying to point people to Jesus. We're trying to make Jesus known. We're just trying to make sure that he's exalted. It's all about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. And that's what Stephen did. Nothing would diminish his, his witness. For some of us, anything can diminish our witness. We're so upset. We're so bothered. And so the gospel ministry is ceasing. Why? Because our witness is diminished. And what we need is we need people like Stephen who are full of the Holy Ghost, who want to tell people about Jesus. And he constantly lifted, lifted Jesus up and made it all about Jesus. And we live in a day where we need more of that. And not just from pastors. We need it from everyday Christians. I often wonder in these other churches that are shut down, are there Christians calling their pastor and say, hey, please open up. I got your back. I'll be there. Pastor, if it's just one, open up. If it's just two, just open up. Come on, let's just, let's just do it. How are we going to change the tide? How are we going to change people's mindsets? Some of you, before you even started coming in, you were skeptical about coming to a church service because you see the news on one hand, and you're like, I don't know about coming to an actual in-person gathering. And then you show up, and you're like, wait a minute, what was I worried about? What was I thinking Everything has changed for me. Now I, now I see it not because of some persuasive words, but because you're looking at the word of God and it's changing your mindset on some things. Because it's the power of God's word. And you understand that there's a difference between me watching it on a screen and me being under the preaching that's happening live. There's a great difference. And you understand that need for it. You understand that others would be better. And the best thing you could say is, you know what, you just got to come and see it. You just got to show up for yourself. I can't explain it to you. But there is a difference. I'm just upset that there's many Christians who would validate what the government is saying, that I can have an indoor protest, but I shouldn't go to church. And you and I need to step back and say, you know what? As they did a time, we're going to go back and we're going to pray like Daniel. Nothing stopped him. I'm just going to keep going. David said, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because what we need is people that will exalt Christ. And you see, Stephen, he had wisdom that God gave him this wisdom to speak for Christ. And then he had that power to stand for Christ. Many days and many times today, we don't want to stand for Christ. We don't want to upset the boat. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, man, you just can't, you, you can't say anything if you have a belief nowadays because you don't want to upset anybody. Isn't that sad? Nobody has to take away your freedom of speech rights. They just did because of social pressure. Even sometimes you come to church. You're not trying to be mean. You're just trying to... Say what you think and feel. And you all have a right to that. And you get around family, you're like, well, I don't want to cause an argument. I don't want to cause a disagreement. I don't want to cause drama. And so here's Stephen, 
He wasn't going to do that. He said, I'm going I'm to lift up Christ. Whether you don't like it or not, I, I have to preach and nothing's going to diminish that witness. You see, they needed to hear the witness because there was a man in that crowd who they were going to stone Stephen. And there was a man who saw somebody who so believed in Jesus that he was willing to die for. And there was a man that everybody handed their jackets to. This man is named Saul. Spoiler alert, Saul becomes Paul, writes 13 books of the New Testament, a man who goes on to evangelize the entire known world in his day and age. And he saw somebody who truly believed what he stood for. He saw somebody willing to lay down his life. He saw somebody who was willing to take a stand for Jesus. Today, would you be willing to take a stand? Some of you are taking a stand just by coming to church, but you know others, and you're saying, come on, you won't stand for Jesus? Then when will you stand? If not now, then when? It's only going to get worse. Have you not read Revelation? Persecution is only going to get worse. So if you can't stand now, what are you going to do when it gets worse? You're not going to stand at all. If you can't do it now, when they just tell you, uh, you shouldn't do that because it's unsafe, it's unhealthy. Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. Watch out. You got to be careful. See, Christians were... Man, we really, I just don't know if it's we're just that apathetic and we just want to find somebody who can validate our excuses. I just don't know anymore. I really don't. I'm really confused with a lot of Christians. I don't know if they really care about church. I think what will happen is when there's a vaccine or we can all go back to church, who shows up? Maybe we just got to wait and see. Who's still standing? Who will stand for Christ? Because right here, Stephen, he was willing to stand this past week. I don't know if you're watching the global news. You're hearing about what's happened in the global church, the church in China. All crosses removed. All mention of God removed. Pastors taken, congregations taken. Crosses taken down. Pictures of Mao and President Xi Jinping were put up in its place. Oh, are, are you watching what's happening? Because people say, oh, Christians, you don't have persecution. Are you kidding me? It's happening all over. And if you don't think it's happening there, you don't think it's ever going to happen here? Who do you think we're going to copy the model? Who do you think we're going to get the idea to do these prison camps that look so great on TV? Are you watching what's going on? Are you so focused on fear? I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Somebody from China can help me. The Uyghur minority. Anybody hearing about the Uyghur minority? A few of you. Mostly Muslim. But there's also Christians. There's also people that are trying to speak out in China. There's a million of them are in concentration camps million of them for a belief. And you don't think that's going to come to the United States? You don't think that's going to happen? That's what they're talking about. But yet if we can't learn to stand, and if our children don't see an example of when it's right to stand for what you believe in, don't be afraid when your kid won't stand up for a bully. And isn't that what we say? We say to our little kids when they go to school, now son, now daughter, you stand up against bullies. I wish our kids would turn back and say, hey mom, hey dad, why don't you go to church then? Stand up against bullies. You're grounded. No allowance. Give me your mask. Go out in public. Ouch. Sorry. I know that offended you. Sorry. We as a church have to learn to take that stand. Because what's happening nowadays is Christians are afraid to take a stand. Because we were told, blend in, just love everybody. I can take a stand for Christ and not disrespect you and not put you down. And I can stand for Christ. You can stand for Christ without disrespecting somebody. You can stand. But yet Christians are not learning how to stand anymore. What is it going to take when we finally do stand? And we say there's days coming where we need to learn to stand. You say, I won't take a stand. Okay. If you won't take a stand for Christ, then Christ won't stand for you. You say, prove that from Scripture. Acts chapter number 7, verse 60. Would you notice with me? Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Back up to verse 60. And he said, look, 
I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When I see this, I'm moved. You say, why are you moved? Twelve places in Scripture, it says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. This is the only place you see him standing at the right hand of God. Only place in Scripture. You say, what's happening here? What's happening? You ever watched a sporting event? Ever watch an Olympic sporting event? Do you remember when the Olympic Games were in Mexico? And I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but his name was Akari. He cramped up due to high altitude. He fell. He was running the marathon. The first runner finished in two hours and 20 minutes. It took him over three and a half hours. By the time he got to the stadium, it was empty. There was a few people picking up trash. And they see him limping into the stadium. And the few people that were picking up trash and a few more stands that were just kind of waiting. They see Akari as he's hobbling into the stadium. And they were thinking, we, we thought everybody was in. We thought all the runners had, had, had run. And said, eyewitness account said, as they saw Akari, as he was hobbling into the stadium, all of a sudden, the few stands that were sitting there, they all stood up and started to cheer him on. You say, what was Jesus doing when Stephen was dying? He stood up for his child, and he was saying, you can make it. You're almost there. You can make it. I'm standing for you. I'm looking at you. My eyes are on you. Stay on me right now. I know you're dying. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. I know the world is against you, but you're my child and I love you. Eyes on me right now. I know it hurts. I know you're going through hell. I know you're dying and I know it hurts, but you're doing it to be an example for me. And I'm standing for you. I'm standing for my son. That's my son there. Look at my son, how he stands. And I stand with my son because my son stands for me. Will you stand for Jesus? Because that's when Jesus stands for you. We need a church of people that say, I will stand for Jesus. Whatever it takes, I will stand. Though the world be against me, I stand for Jesus. Not bumper sticker Christianity. I'm talking about when the crowd's not around. I'm talking about when they drag you outside the city, they throw you into the dirt, and they pick up the stones and say, don't you talk about Jesus. Don't you have a strong character at work. Don't you try to bring that integrity here. Don't you try to talk about Christian morality here. Don't you try to live a decent Christian life. Come on, be like everybody else. Toe the line. Be politically correct. Come on, just do what everybody else is doing. Just stop rocking the boat. Just kind of go with the flow. Just kind of be a status quo Christian. Just be a lame duck Christian. Somebody is not involved in their faith. I'm afraid we have enough of those. Beware the Christian says, I'm willing to stand. I'm willing to stand for Jesus. Uh, the line is drawn in the sand. I've stepped over that line. I've made my decision. And may it be clear to all. Many of us would say that we have been baptized. Do you understand what baptism is? It's not some cool hip ceremony that you do just so to impress your friends, get a nice little video montage, post it on the gram, post it on Snapchat, and be like, look, I got baptized. And the next day, act as ungodly and as sinful and as wicked as some demon in hell. That's not what baptism is about. Baptism is an outward display of an inward decision that on the inside I'm changed, but I want everybody on the outside to know that I'm different. If you've been baptized, you've made that decision. But today we've got a group of church people that they want to live just like the world. They want to live just like the devil. And then they want to show up at church on Sunday, wear some nice little clothes, bring a little Bible, and then act like a Christian with their Christian friends. And you've got one foot in the world, and you've got one foot in the church, and you wonder why God doesn't want anything to do with you. And that's what we've got. And we need to repent. Every person here that says, you know what, I'm trying to, trying to please both, and we're miserable. Choose this day whom you will serve. And don't go back on that decision. Don't let anything turn you back. We used to sing the old song. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. You soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. 
We need to stand for Jesus. And Stephen was willing to stand, and it cost him everything. A preacher once came to the great Donald Barnhouse and said, I'd give anything in the world to preach like you, sir. The great Dr. Barnhouse looked him in the eyes and said, good, because that's exactly what it'll cost you. Everything in the world. I think some of us aren't willing to give up everything to have Jesus. We're fine with him giving up everything, but us give up everything to him? No. And it's time that we say, wait a minute. I'm a blood-bought child of God. My banner is clear. I'm born again. I'm a child of the king. I can't be doing this. I got to make a difference. The great Billy Sunday was playing for the Chicago White Sox. And one day he passed a preacher outside the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission there on Michigan Ave. And he walked outside and he heard the old gospel preaching. And he heard the preaching. He looked at his fellow friends who were also players on the Chicago White Sox. And he said, friends, we've come to a pardon of the ways. You're going that way. But I'm going toward the preaching. And the story is it. Billy Sunday becomes a great evangelist preaching all across the United States. Winning people to Christ. But he was willing to turn his back on the world. But today we've got a problem. The problem is a fear virus. Fear has held many of you from following back, holding you back from following Jesus. To be free from fear, we need to be full of faith. But sadly, we're free from faith and full of fear. What are you full of? Here's another question. What are you filling up on? What's your spiritual diet? You say, Pastor, I don't have an appetite for the things of church and prayer and worship songs. You can teach yourself to have an appetite for it. I used to hate, hate Brussels sprouts. And then somebody taught my wife how to take Brussels sprouts. You cut them in half, sprinkle some olive oil on it, Put some salt and pepper on it, sea salt, the chunky kind of salt. Throw that in the oven, let it broil, and they come out all baked and delicious. You can develop an appetite for spiritual things. You can develop an appetite for the Bible. I don't care how old you are, you can open up God's Word and say, Lord, your Word is precious. Your Word is powerful. Sweeter also than the honey. Sweeter than the honeycomb. More desirable are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Thy law is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. All to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. That's God's word. Will we stand on it? Will we say, this is what guides me today? The Bible. B-I-B-L-E, not CNN, not NBC, not MSNBC, not Fox, the B-I-B-L-E. That's the only book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you help us? Help us to stand. As we look at the world around us as it's cowering and crumbling, and it seems, Father, that there's fewer and fewer of us. But help us to stop looking around and start looking up. Looking up like Stephen. Looking up at the Father. At the right hand of the Father is Jesus. And he stands there looking, looking for his children. Looking for good, godly, gifted men and women who will say, I will stand for Jesus. Father, would you be able to look at our church and would you see an army of Christians willing to stand? Lord, would we stand for you? Will we stand at our schools? Will we stand in our homes? Will we stand in our jobs? Will we stand in our communities? Father, don't let the church crumble. Don't let us waver. Don't let us doubt. Don't let us give in to fear. Don't let us give in to the fear virus. But Father, would you help us to be full of faith 
I pray for our brothers and our sisters. I pray for those that are wavering. I pray for those that Satan is desiring to sift like wheat that he's destroying. Father, would you raise them up? I pray for those that will listen to this podcast this week. May they be convicted and may they be converted to you. I pray for those who are going to be impacted this week because of this message that somebody heard and they're going to talk to them about it. I pray that their faith would be rekindled. Father, I pray that those that are here this evening, that they would be stronger because of this message. That they would sense a greater urgency to stand for you in every aspect of their life, in every area. That Christians, we would once again have a good reputation where people would be glad to hire us, be glad to be around us. Father, would you help us, Lord? Help us to not give in to fear. I pray for those that are here this evening that don't know Jesus. I pray for those who are lost in their sin and they are given into fear. Father, I pray they would sense the conviction of your spirit. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would be able to say, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've received him as my personal Savior. Would you slip up a hand? May I see your hand? Thank you. You may put your hands down. How many would say this evening, I, I, I don't know Jesus. I've never repented of my sin and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And tonight, I know I need to receive Jesus for the first time. Is that you? Would you slip up your hand? Is that you? Can I pray for you? If you want to talk to somebody after the service about knowing for sure that Jesus is your Savior, please come find me. Father, I thank you for the service. I thank you for these people. May you bless them, Father. May you help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we all stand? I'm going to ask the worship team to sing a song of invitation. And what we do is we open up the altar. And maybe you want to pray. You want to kneel in your seat or you want to come forward. We want to give you an opportunity where you say, Lord, I want to pray. I want to seek your face. You can do it there in your seat or you can come forward in an old-fashioned altar as we sing and worship in this last song. You're invited to come down. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.